I'm excited. This week we are finishing our teaching series, Underground Jesus. We do this once a year. It's a four-week series. The first week we looked at our motto, to live boldly and love deeply. The second week we looked at our model, to follow Jesus up in and out. Last week we looked at our mission. This week we are looking at our movement. Now, I'll be honest, man. That is one of those phrases I feel like in churches sometimes today. If you're new to church, it's just way overused. Because nobody in our society and culture is going, man, that church was a real movement today in our culture. Just not, it's not the reality. But I want to share with you the greater picture of what the New Testament church looked like that Jesus called us to follow as Christians and why I believe six years ago we were a Bible study meeting in a house and now today we've grown to uh, over a thousand people or more that worship with us on given weekends. And so I'm excited to share this with you. If you came in this is your first week or you're watching online for the very first time, you're going to get to see the big picture, the 30,000 foot view of where we're going as a church, why I believe it's significant, and even what makes it a, a, a bit unique, and unfortunately it shouldn't be unique, because I believe it's what scripture teaches us to do. You guys ready to study God's word together, church? Yeah. Okay, here we go. Verse 1 in Luke chapter 8 says this. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons came, had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, you know they're important if they're being named, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Jesus is going around in the book of Luke, written by Luke, who was someone who traveled with Paul in his missionary journeys. He was one of the more educated writers in Scripture. In fact, the Greek in Luke in the book of Acts, because it's all actually a part of one book, is the most complex Greek to translate in the New Testament. And we read these verses, they're talking about Jesus going around with people now following him, including some important people within the early church that were just mentioned. And as they're going around, he's proclaiming the kingdom of God, that the reign of God, like we will experience one day in heaven, it has already begun. That for us today, that following Jesus means, yes, you can live eternally in heaven with God. If, if you believe in the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, that he overcame death itself, that you and I, if we share in the resurrection of Jesus, we get to spend eternity in heaven. But when he preached the reign of God or the kingdom of God, it wasn't just about you're going to go to heaven. It was that he actually, you can get glimpses of heaven now. That if you walked in here and you feel like you're going through life alone and you feel broken and you feel like nobody cares, what the Bible teaches us is if we're rooted in the faith of Jesus, that we're not alone. That he can reign in our lives now. And so that's at the heart of the message Jesus is bringing in uh, the Gospels, including here in the book of Luke. When we get to verse 4, these are the verses we're really going to dive into in our time together. It says, While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. Maybe you've heard this before. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path it was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times 
more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. I want to talk to you. I know you came into a Saturday evening service. Nick talked about kind of preparing maybe for what God is going to do during our time together. What I want to share with you is over the last six years of this church is when we make ourselves vulnerable enough that God, who I believe is with us right now, when we make ourselves vulnerable enough that he can speak to what's really going on in our lives, it could be life-changing. And I believe this passage that we're talking about tonight, it has been life-changing as I've been reflecting on it for me. And my goal is not to say any fancy words, but that these words in Scripture might genuinely change your life tonight. Some of you have been Christians a long time, and some of you walked in here and you have no idea what you believe. Uh, we have atheists and agnostics watching online or joining us live at our services every weekend. We started this church for you. For those of you who have been following Jesus for a long time, I want to talk about is your ground that you are planting in, is it fertile soil? What does your spiritual health look like right now? Will you pray with me as we dive into this passage? God, I thank you, man. In today's society and culture, that all of these people came out Saturday night to, to study your word, to worship you, some of us to really figure out what we believe about you. I pray that wherever we're at spiritually, that we would encounter you now, that we would go on to fulfill our lives in the way that you desire us to. We love you, God. We dedicate this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's family said, amen, amen. Do we have any farmers out there? Yeah, okay, a few farmers. Becky, you're a liar. Do we have any farmers out there? Any, any gardeners, at least, any of you? You've tried your hand to the green thumb of gardening. Okay, yeah, thank you. Now, let me confess, when my wife and I first moved to Indiana, she came from Southern California. I don't know if you've ever been to Southern California, but like everything there is dead, like pretty much everything. No one grows anything there. It's like the concrete jungle. And when we came here, she had never had a garden. So she's like, I'm, I'm going to, she didn't say dude. I said, dude, we're going to plant a garden. She planted a garden at our house. I took all of that time and energy to pull up the grass and carve it all out. It was awesome. And when she planted the seeds, how many crops do you think we grew that year? Virtually Nothing. <laughs> And we learned a valuable lesson. It's really hard to grow something from the seed. So the next year, she went out and she got plants from the landscaping company so that they would grow. But some of them died. We began to think, man, anybody have your plants die when you try and garden? Then, then this little trick happened. Grandma showed up. Right? And my mom, grandma, she's been doing that for like a, a really long time. And so she did these things that you're going to be like, well, duh. But it was just, it blew my mind. It blew my mind. She came in, she planted the crops, and they just exploded. And when I say exploded, I mean like humongous. The tomato plants, I am not joking, overgrew the shed. My wife claimed they were nine feet tall. I think that's inaccurate, but it might have been at least seven or eight feet. They were humongous, and you're saying, I don't believe it. I'm telling you, zucchinis the size of people's heads. You're saying it's not real, only at the state fair. No, look at this picture. This is my son and daughter holding, the, look at that thing. That's a zucchini. Now I know some of you are going, Josh, that's not organic. There's no, <laughs> no way that happened. Here's a little trick that grandma knew. She took, and rather than just trying to till up the ground that was right next to the foundation of our home, she bought some potting soil. 
And she planted each plant within this fertile potting soil. And then she took this little thing. It was like gasoline on the fire. And I know some of you are going to cringe. It was blue. And it's called miracle Grow. And when she put the miracle Grow onto the fertile soil, man, that thing exploded. And we had so many tomatoes. Dude, I'm not lying. We had people who've been having gardens in our neighborhood for years. And they're coming up. They're like, what did you do? What are your secrets? Can we have some? They're all going home with like salads for that evening. It was awesome. What I want to talk about in this passage is that God actually is asking those people that he's sharing this message with here in Luke chapter 8 that you could actually see real growth spiritually in your life. And I want to know if you have been a Christian for a while and you've been going through a dry period. By the way, I've been a pastor for a long time. I still go through dry periods. It happens. But how do you throw a little miracle grow, a little potting soil, so that you could see some explosive growth? I believe it's the key to a movement of Jesus happening within our lifetimes. Nothing cool that we ever planned as a church ever did anything really spectacular. It just didn't. I had some really great ideas, and they never went well. But when God showed up because people were genuinely seeking him and the Holy Spirit got at work, man, it sparked a fire, ignited some things that changed the course of history for some individuals that attend and are a part of our church family. And those people then went out into their spheres of influence, as we talked about last week, our mission. They went to their oikoses and their communities and they began to see those change. And that is how the movement of Jesus has always worked. If you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to, to write some of this down. The big theme tonight, our movement, is creating a multiplying movement for Jesus within our lifetime. Do you believe that that could actually happen? I believe it can't, it, not just that it could happen, I believe that it is happening. And I'm going to share some of the details of that so that you can visualize it and see it. And then if you've been kind of on the fringe of this church or a local church that you might prayerfully considered joining the movement, being a part of it, and saying, God, I want to use the short time I got on this planet to make an impact. And the first point I want to make from Luke chapter 8 is this, that a movement must scatter. A movement must scatter. You see, if the, the fertile soil, the, the miracle grow, is when Jesus is really involved in uh, discipling people, changing the hearts, the Holy Spirit is convicting, encouraging, and changing our lives, we have to be sent out then to change our communities. We, we must scatter. Look at the verses here. Verse 5, for you farmers, uh, Becca, in the room. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, the birds ate it up. Some fell on the rocky ground, and it came up. The plants were withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns. goes on to verse 8. Still other seed fell on good soil. You read that as a passage in our 21st century eyes, and you go, oh, yeah, Jesus is doing a story and this analogy, and it's a parable story to the people in that culture. Do you realize what that would have been like to hear in that culture? This was an agrarian society, meaning they farmed for a living. A lot of farmers. And one of the precious things, commodities you had were those seeds. You didn't have a lot of them. They were worth some money. And so if you're going to plant them, you better make sure you plant them well. You didn't just go, go around throwing things everywhere. This farmer, Jesus in this passage, he sows the seed, scatters it broadly scatters it broadly. Why? Why would he do that? Because he knows 
The most important thing is that he gets as much seed out there as possible. Scatter it lavishly. Because if it takes root, wherever it takes root, it's going to have a bumper crop. John Nolan, this uh, Lucan scholar, writes this. The sower sows seed, which has an extraordinary yield potential, meaning a lot. He knows he is in line for a bumper yield. He can afford to be generous with his seed. Unlike other farmers, he knew he made, he could just throw it all out there because he's about to have a huge crop. By the way, in other parts of the gospel, it says that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. That we as Christians should be praying to the Lord of the harvest for more workers because an abundant work, it's talking about uh, the yield of people encountering Christ, having their life changed, having eternal life and living with them in this planet. He goes on in this passage, he says, the end of the story vindicates his confidence. The yield is a remarkable hundredfold return, which is to be compared to a typical yield of seven to tenfold. For every seed that you planted, you might get seven to ten pieces of crops. In this case, you get a hundredfold. That's how abundant the harvest was going to be. See, some of us in our culture, we have given up on hope that anything will ever change. The problem isn't the yield. The problem is the sowing. If we had more people sent out scattering and even failing sometimes, we would see more people having their lives changed because the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. We should do everything, this is key for me, we should do everything to reach anyone everywhere. Everything to reach anyone, everywhere. Short of sin, man, we should do anything to reach people right where they are. So when Rich Abbott, who I saw here tonight, uh, said, hey, Josh, there he is on a camera right over there. Well done, Rich. Says, hey, I've got this idea. I really love WWE. I know it is WWF, but apparently it's WWE now. And I want to have a, a wrestling ministry for WWE fans. I thought that's a horrible idea, Rich. But he goes and does it, and we put a wrestling ring in here, and he, I got to meet somebody, one of your friends last week, right, that is having a life change because of Jesus, because of you, man, and the ministry God's used you to do. And, and that matters. The, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. We need more people being sent out rather than hoarding them in to fill up our seats in our churches, this is huge. We must be known more for our sending capacity than our seeding capacity. Some of you have heard me say this before. You should read the book by J.D. Greer called Gaining by Losing. It, it, you'll understand a little bit more of why we do the things we do as a church. We genuinely believe that we gain more by losing, by sending people out rather than getting people to just stay and sit in seats. We want them to make an impact. So I know right now, this weekend, one of our largest outposts is actually going to be attending a worship service in Avon because we're planting a church there and they want to go help support a church plant. We believe in sending out that uh, I often hear in churches that we shouldn't be a cruise ship, right? We should be a battleship because a cruise ship, right? We're just out there for the pleasures and helping everybody have fun on the weekends. But what we should really be is a battleship out there to impact the world and make a difference with real power and authority. But actually, that's not a good analogy. Biblically, we should not be a battleship. We should be an aircraft carrier. The power isn't just in when we gather together in, in the force there, but when we send out. And we should equip people to be sent out. We gain by losing 
It's why our outposts are so important to the heart of our church. We've talked about our discipleship huddles. We've talked about rooted. Our outposts are maybe similar to what a small group or a life group you've been to at another church. If you're new to church, they're communities of anywhere from 8 to 10 to sometimes up to 50 or 75 people that meet together, pray together, do life together. But then they talk about how can we genuinely impact the local community. And the outposts that really... Uh, Stick around for the long term. They all unite around a particular mission. And I'm going to be sharing some of the details of that. So they don't just study about how to impact our communities, but they actually live it out and do it. We believe so much in the scattered approach, the decentralization of power from just a few people in churches to the many, the priesthood of all believers is the Protestant theological belief on that. We believe that so strongly that we created an outpost matching grant that your outpost, uh, we have... We're giving away over 35% of our resources this year on way to eventually giving away 50% every year of all the resources that come in. If a church is healthy, they might give away 10% of their resources. We're going to be giving away 50% in the long haul. And this year, the step was to 35%. Uh, as of the end of August, we were at 39% this year. And part of that is a, a portion of that is set aside so that outposts can apply for grants worth thousands of dollars to make an impact in your community. And we really believe that. We have over 16 outposts throughout Indianapolis, Hamilton County, and even uh, other counties around here. And so if you're interested in starting those, we need you, baby. We're gonna be starting a bunch of new ones out of Rooted. The sign-up sheet went around. You can still sign up at the Connect Center. We mentioned that again at the end. But our outposts are a humongous part of who we are as a church. We give a lot of weight to our outposts leaders, and we, Nick and I have been talking about ways that we can do that even more. Number two, if you're taking notes, we, we want a movement must scatter, but a movement must also multiply, right? It wasn't just that he scattered the seed, it was that it caught hold and eventually produced a bumper crop. Verse eight said that it was a hundredfold, humongous crop. It multiplied like crazy, and for us, we must see that. We must multiply our disciples, as we talked about last week, or excuse me, two weeks ago. We must multiply our leaders. We must multiply services, multiply campuses, multiply churches. Why we gave our church planting network the term Multiply Indiana that I'll talk about uh, in just a moment. But I want to give you a visual to understand when we talk about our movement, what we're referring to. I believe it's a significant um, illustration that differentiates how we should think about church. I believe it's more biblical when Jesus is going around talking about the kingdom of God, that's what he's concerned about. Expanding those who know Jesus, changing the course of human history for people, helping those in need, not starting worship services. And so when we started this series, we explained, we called it underground Jesus because for most of us, we only know the above-ground aspect of what a local church does. And if you've been a Christian for a while, you may be familiar with other churches and different worship services and worship times. And to us, that's church. You show up to church, you attend the church, and you go home and you're done with church. But Jesus never started a worship service. Do you notice that? He didn't do it. His heart landed what we refer to as the underground aspect of our church, that if all you ever do is attend the worship service of any church, but especially this one, you'll never see the most important part of what we do, where the movement really occurs. 
Uh, one of the big pieces for that is coming up this Wednesday at 7 o'clock right here, our Rooted 10-week experience. It's kind of the platform to connect you to everything else going on in our church. It's called Rooted. Childcare is provided. You can still sign up at the guest center. Last I knew, I think we had 60 or 70 people at least signed up. Uh, we're expecting over 100 people signing up before all is said and done. The Rooted experience is uh, part of us getting firmly rooted in our faith. To not just attend a service and think, oh, I believe in God because I went to a church, but saying, I believe this stuff. Now, help me understand the worldview better. What does the Bible actually teach? What does that mean for my life? How do I live that out? Becoming rooted in the faith. And we believe that the fertile soil to really help all of this grow is discipleship. We talked about that week two, our model of ministry. We want to produce disciples of Jesus who follow him up in and out and are rooted in Christ. Our discipleship huddles are the organic side of what we do. You can't sign up for it. Uh, but we are literally having hundreds of people are going through discipleship huddles since we've begun them three years ago. And we're excited to expand a whole lot more of them this fall. Those are intense one-year discipling relationships. It's what produces the fertile soil for everything else that occurs within the church, the greater movement. Out of this, we see a lot of outposts get started, local outposts. Uh, you'll notice we never um, give you any local ministry options, local mission opportunities that aren't first started by outposts. I worked at a church of 5,000 people in Southern California, and when we fed the homeless, we'd have five people show up from the church. It was a fantastic church and people loved Jesus. But it was because it was always professionally run and it was whether we promoted it well enough, whether people in the church showed up. We want people in our church to take ownership themselves. And so local outposts, they grow in their faith. It's part of the discipling process. As they take root, they become firm in their faith and the fertile soil of discipleship and the word of God. They now begin to spread and try and make an impact in their local community. And eventually you see some of them come back up above ground, so to speak, and begin to make an impact in their community. And it begins to spread. This is what we've seen. Our long-term goal is that that might even, outposts might start new churches Multiply Indiana, the church planting conference that we got to start. There are four churches that we helped plant this year. And we just, uh, I just found out on a text today that we are just sent another letter offer to another um, uh, pastor to plant another church in downtown Indianapolis in the coming year. It's amazing what God is doing in such a short period of time. In fact, I've had people contacting us from other parts of the country to invite us into meeting with other pastors that are actually seeing exponential multiplication happening uh, in their churches because it's so rare. And I don't say that as a brag. I say that as a, a sadness because that's what every church biblically, I believe, should look like. He scattered it broadly. It took a root and then it multiplied a hundredfold that each of us should see that happen in our lives. And, and it's not just church plants it also happens uh, in our outposts. So like Mercy Fest is a ministry we've been doing for a few years in different parts of the state. It's an outpost that meets in Fishers at the Kleinbub's house and uh, they're reaching people for Christ all over the state of Indiana. Uh, same with Dotted Line Divas kind of got started out of an outpost. It's own, its own nonprofit, 501c3. They just went down to meet needs in Houston from the, the floods of Harvey. We didn't have to pay a staff member to do that because people are living out the good news of Jesus all around them. It is a chaotic movement that nothing can stop it. That's the beauty of it. 
It doesn't revolve around just one staff or one worship service. We're seeing the private reserve outpost up there. They've at times had uh, 30 or 40 and even up to 75 people from an apartment complex where they meet showing up. We saw last year five students in that apartment complex be baptized and follow Jesus with their lives. We didn't have to pay any staff to do that. That's the beauty of it. That's the way that the good news of Jesus should be lived out. It is a greater movement that is not operated around professional Christians or a worship service, but is an underground movement that can't be stopped as it sprouts up things all over the, all over the place and eventually all over the country and world. I believe that's what the movement of Jesus looks like in the New Testament and should look like in our lives today. I believe this so strongly. Um, I, I've, I've got an analogy I've been using in the first step class to explain this. Um, does anybody know, you got a little hint there, but does anybody know what the largest living organism in the world is? Some of you are thinking a blue whale. Some of you are thinking like the redwoods. And according to the largest living organism, according to mass, according to mass, you would be wrong. The largest living organism are what are called clonal colonies. Clonal colonies, uh, which is found most often with aspen trees. And the beauty of these things, you can actually go to parts of Colorado and Utah where thousands of square miles, thousands of square miles of forest, just like this, and a couple of these others here, that these entire forests, thousands of square miles, actually operate as one living tree. They have, the tree next to it has the exact same DNA as the other tree, and they're connected by the root system. Avatar didn't come up with this. It actually happens in our culture today that this operates as one living organism. This is what the kingdom of God looks like when Jesus is proclaiming that. And so when we talk as a church about Multiply Indiana and Dotted Line Divas and Mercy Fest and this, uh, re- the, the albums that we're recording as a part of Multiply Records, which, by the way, the first song sang tonight is a song that Eric and the team wrote, and it's going to be on the album that we've released at the birthday bash. So pumped for it. It's a fantastic song. All of those things, we, we're going to see all of them happen because it doesn't revolve around a staff or one church. So while we may have legal entities of different ministries and different nonprofits, our goal is not just to benefit Mercy Road Church and our worship gatherings here. We're a part of a much bigger movement beyond what just happens here. It's what you see throughout the New Testament. It's how the kingdom of God expands. And it begins in our own hearts and lives. And I'll talk about that in closing, but I want to give a quick plug. The Multiply Indiana Conference is coming up on November 2nd. It's the first time we've ever done this. We're trying to get 200 people here uh, at this conference. Anybody who is interested, first of all, if you volunteer, it is free for you. Fill out a Connect card, turn it in at the Connect Center. Or if you just want to come and attend, here is a code uh, for Multiply Indiana churches. There are now six churches in Multiply Indiana. For a $9 discount, use the code MICHURCH. MI Church, and you just go to multiplyindiana.com. You can literally do that from your phone right now. In fact, if you want to volunteer, you can do it from your phone and put in MI free. Don't tell anybody that. It's not like this is going online or anything. Uh, put that in and you get in for free, but you got to volunteer uh, if you do that. And we want to see churches planted like crazy throughout the state of Indiana. It is not just the vision of Multiply Indiana. It's the vision of our church. Finally, third and final thing, I'm preaching tonight, aren't I? Is this, a movement must be rooted in fertile soil. 
This might be the most important thing. We could talk about the big 30,000 square or 30,000 foot view. We can talk about the aspen tree analogy and the kingdom of God and like that's our vision and goal. But if it doesn't start with us as individuals being firmly rooted in Christ, we've missed what the passage is talking about. See, he goes on in uh, verse 11 to 15 and says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. I think this is really important. I want to pause there. It says the seed is the word of God. It really begins with that, that understanding God's word through scripture and allowing that to transform our lives is where that really begins. For all of our discipleship huddle leaders, I've been talking to Pastor Nick about implementing a Bible reading program as a part of our huddles and the one-year experience that we do, because I believe that needs to be there. Beginning on the week after our birthday bash, we are diving into a five-week teaching series going verse by verse through the book of James. It's going to be super fun and creative. I've been talking to Darren about it. However, we're we're literally just going to study the book of James. I believe we have to be rooted in Scripture. And that's what he refers to here in verse 11. It goes on and says this, uh, the second half of, or verse 12. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be, be, be saved. Maybe Satan has been attacking you in your life. Verse 13, those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. They hear the word, they retain it, produce a crop. It's really giving an example of discipleship is what we're teaching that produces the fertile soil for everything to happen in our lives. Here's what I want to share with you guys. If we want to see a movement like this continue to expand, it starts with each of us as individuals seeing our faith actually grown being rooted in fertile soil, of developing habits of studying God's scriptures, allowing him to change our lives, taking next steps of faith. A seed begins as a small little thing, but when it gets rooted in the faith, that's what our rooted experience is about, it begins to grow. And this little sapling may seem like an insignificant thing, but when it's added to the greater picture of what's occurring, you'll be amazed. This is what the movement looks like. For us today in our culture, when we actually take the word of God seriously and allow it to begin to transform our hearts, our lives, become rooted in him. Do not allow the schemes of of Satan to, to ruin us. Do not allow us to not be discipled or allow worldly riches and temptations as the verses describe come between us. But we actually take root and begin to follow Jesus in our lives. We begin to grow. And that growth is a part of more than just our lives. It's a part of a greater movement that literally is changing the course of human history right now in our society. That when we grow together, people around us begin to take notice and they can't deny it. And it begins to change their lives as well. When you see it, the big picture, the 30,000 square foot view, it's incredible. You can't believe when Christians live out their faith together and follow Jesus together, it's overwhelming and it changes hearts and lives. That's why we saw at one service 17 people surrender their life to Christ just a couple weeks ago. 34 people throughout the weekend. That when we get firmly planted in the fertile soil, 
And we don't allow these three things to squelch the movement, the, the devil or Satan, that not being discipled in our faith or worldly riches and temptations. When we don't allow those three things to occur, the passage says, but we are rooted firmly in Christ and his word, it changes our lives and it changes the lives of the many. And here's what I know as we close out. I believe that Jesus said this story to these people so that they would understand it and they would allow their lives to be changed. And maybe you came here and you're like the first one. You've never felt like you're good enough. And the enemy, Satan, has been destructive in your life. And you've just felt like you're never going to get past that. You're just not one of the good people. The Bible speaks directly against it. It says it doesn't matter how messed up your life is, how unfertile the soil is, that when Jesus comes in, if you allow the Spirit of God to pour a little miracle grow on that, it can grow. And you think it can't and it won't, but it can and it will, and it has for many people. It did in my life, and it continues to in my life. During my dry times, when I invest my life back into him, I see the growth of it. I see from people pouring into my lives and me pouring into discipling to others how it helps me grow in my faith. I see that as you get older and the worldly riches and temptations don't become easier, but they become more difficult to stand against. That if we allow those things to come in our way of Jesus, we will no, never see that movement occur. We won't see the growth happen. and We'll be this little seed and this little sapling forever. When he wants us to expand rapidly, it's a movement that cannot be stopped. And so I believe when we read these verses and we hear this parable, we should allow it to change us. And you feel like you've allowed some temptations and some things, like maybe your financial portfolio has become more important than following Jesus. Or maybe your own children have become a form of idolatry to you rather than following Jesus first and them getting to see that in their lives and that example Maybe it's the addictive habits you have had or it's the fun that you've had on the weekend or the alcohol that you have consumed or the things that you've ingested into your body or inhaled into your lungs. I, I don't know. What I do know, as long as you're human, you're gonna continue to have to battle against the enemy and his desires for your life. But Jesus desires that you might grow, that you might grow in your faith and believe that you were created for a purpose and that when we say there are sleeping giants of the faith sitting in the room right now, we're not talking to the super Christians. We're talking to the people right here, like these 12 uneducated guys in this passage who were not leaders at all, who changed the course of human history because they actually lived this stuff out. That's what God desires to do with you and me, ordinary people.